cue the fancy intro music. I'm Lisa Robin Young, and this is Creative Freedom, empowerment for creative entrepreneurs, where can-do inspiration and how-to education collide to help you own your dreams without selling your soul. Creative Freedom helps you to find success on your own terms and build a profitable, sustainable business doing what you love. So whether you watch the web series, the live Q&A, or are just joining us through the podcast, welcome. I'm excited you're here. This whole series on under-earning is winding down, but there are a few important topics left yet to cover. One of the biggest is shame and how it keeps you undercharging and under-earning. Every time I hear, well, I'm not, insert name of famous person here, I can't charge that much, I laugh. Because one day, someone will say the same thing about you once you have the courage to step into the value you create for the world. You can only do that by looking at some of the more sneaky and insidious ways shame creeps into your decisions about pricing. Are you ready? Let's begin. Much of what I'm sharing with you today is being ripped from the pages of my program, Overcoming Under-Earning for Creative Entrepreneurs. To give you some backstory, I am a double-fisted reader. I think I've mentioned that before. Not sure. Want to make sure you're aware of that. I'll sometimes have three or four books going at the same time, and that can seem crazy to some people. But as a fusion creative, it opens my brain to see cross connections, synergies, and patterns that I might not otherwise see if I was just reading one book at a time. And that's how I came upon this shame discovery as it relates to under earning. I was researching my content for the program at the same time that I was reading Dr. Brene Brown's book, I Thought It Was Just Me, But It Isn't, her first book about shame and building shame resilience. I had read something that triggered this whole connection between how our perceptions of ourselves can often affect our belief around our value in the marketplace. Essentially, if we don't believe ourselves as worthy of charging a certain rate, we simply won't, which means we'll never get it because we don't believe we're worth it, not because the market wouldn't believe we're worth it. We've already programmed ourselves out of earning the kind of money we want or need to have in order to have a profitable, sustainable business doing what we love. (laughs) Now, I don't pretend to be an expert on shame uh, other than, you know, having experienced it. So I am leaning heavily on the work of Dr. Brown. Uh, Also, the experiences of my clients and my own personal experiences as a plus-size, multiracial woman of color who grew up in a poor welfare family in a predominantly Black neighborhood in the inner city of Flint, Michigan. That's a lot of identities to parse through. And that's the point. Anytime we're faced with being outside whatever's considered the norm in our people group, we run the risk of having an unwanted identity, unwanted either by ourselves or by that people group. That at the root is what triggers shame. When we see ourselves as wrong, excluded from, or not appropriate for the group we most want to be a part of, we experience some form of shame. Now I'm using the term people group because this could be anything, your family, your colleagues, 
even people you'd like to consider your peers, your community or social group, even the country in which you reside as we're seeing in the States now for various groups of people who don't fit what has rightly or wrongly been viewed as the quote unquote norm for centuries. So yeah, we're dancing dangerously around racism, classism, sexism, sizeism, ableism, gender conformities, and a whole bunch of other isms I'm probably not even aware of because of the inherent biases that I carry around. Oh yes, didn't you know? We all have biases. Even those of us in marginalized people groups can practice forms of discrimination. So that's the first place I want to stop and consider. To be discriminating by itself is not inherently a bad thing. And it's dangerous for me to say that. So please hear the context in which I am saying it. We can have discriminating tastes. We can pick and choose our preferences. We are allowed to like what we like and not like what we don't like. Discrimination, the original intent of the word, meant to see differences and to be able to distinguish differences between a collection of options. Those options could be flavors of ice cream, furniture for your living room, or even people you choose to hang out with. So by itself, under the original word origin, being able to discriminate isn't necessarily a bad thing. What made it problematic? Judgment. Judgment oh, creates so many problems in the world, which is why I advocate so strongly for a judgment-free zone. To view a thing or a person as right or wrong or better or worse because they fall into or out of your discriminating choices is a problem that's rooted in judgment and fear. We see something not like us, not familiar to us, and rather than exploring it or just leaving it alone, we let fear drive the bus. Then we start making assumptive judgment calls, thinking that difference is dangerous, unsafe, or just plain wrong. Dun, dun, dun. This is our brain going too far in trying to keep us quote-unquote safe from so-called quote-unquote danger. It's hardwired into our brain from our caveman days, but we're not talking about saber-toothed tigers here. We have a prefrontal cortex now for more fine-tuned, clear thinking and problem solving. We need to lead our brains instead of letting fear drive the bus on every decision we make. For example, I like chocolate ice cream. When I go to the ice cream shoppy, <laughs> Yeah, I called it the ice cream shoppy. That's what my kid says. I'm going to pick the flavor I most enjoy. That's my discriminating taste in action. I am actively discriminating here. I'm going to sample a few and see which flavor calls to me. Most of the time, I'll probably pick the chocolate because that's my preference. Maybe you like pistachio. Okay, that's not my jam. You're different from me. You have different tastes than me. Groovy. That doesn't make you a horrible person. That shouldn't mean I'm going to actively work to keep people who love pistachio ice cream out of my neighborhood, out of my community. There's nothing dangerous, illegal, or inherently wrong about loving pistachio ice cream. Well, you know, some people might disagree. <laughs> Whatever. But that's where discrimination takes the dark turn. Choice is a powerful thing. And when people in power use choice as a means of casting judgment on people not like them, 
Well, one look at what's going on in the world right now illustrates my point. I have to walk a cautious line here because as a creative entrepreneur, you have some rights about deciding who you do and don't want to work with. The whole premise of creative freedom is to help you define success on your own terms, which means if people who burn your toast and rub you the wrong way show up to do business with you, you have the right to refuse to work with them. It's your business. That said, there are also consequences on both sides of the coin for those decisions, and you need to be willing to accept them. There's a legal line that bars certain kinds of discrimination. And my hope is that the people in my community have hearts open to all kinds of people who may not look, walk, or talk like you and who might see the world differently than you, but still deserve respect for their work and who they are just as much as you do. Like I said, this is kind of sticky. The lines can get blurry really quickly here. But it's important when we talk about shame that we get this out into the open. Openness and vulnerability, according to Dr. Brown, are a big piece of how we build shame resilience. If you don't feel safe to share your vulnerability, you keep harboring shame on some level. Here's a snippet from Dr. Brown's work that got me fired up about this topic. And these are just thread ideas. Quote, The less we understand about shame and how it affects our feelings, thoughts, and behaviors, the more power it exerts over our lives. The most painful shaming experiences are often self-inflicted. Until we start addressing the role shame plays, we may temporarily fix some of the surface problems, but we can't silence the old tape in our head that suddenly blared some version of something is wrong with me. Shame forces us to put so much value on what other people think that we lose ourselves in the process of trying to meet everyone else's expectations, end quote. It was reading those words scattered throughout the opening chapters of her book that I finally pieced together why under-earning is such a chronic problem for creative entrepreneurs. Most of our work in the world comes with an external expectation, a judgment, That it's a luxury, a valueless add-on, something the world could do without or that they could do themselves. So we don't deserve to charge fairly for it. This is less of an issue for creatives in fields with more direct and tangible results, like accounting or therapy. But shame still crops up in other ways. Because other people judge the work as unnecessary or even wrong, We're somehow judging ourselves as wrong for wanting to do it. Or at the very least, we're agreeing with others who think we are wrong for wanting to do it. And this mental trap forces our hand. And we start thinking things like, if you don't think it's right to do it, how can you charge for it? Who would ever pay you that kind of money for it? And those money stories rake us over the coals. Ugh. I struggled with this early in my career as a coach. Nobody in my circle of family or friends, including my then husband, could understand what I was doing. What exactly does a coach do? I had lots of clever explanations, but unless I could point to a tangible result, most people still scratch their heads. As a musician, I faced a similar issue. Heck, my own cousin, who is an accomplished percussionist, 
tried to dissuade me from following a career in music because the niche I had picked was so small and success didn't seem very likely. But it was her definition of success, not mine, that she was basing that judgment on. She had already judged what I wanted to do as wrong. So in my mind, that judgment extended to me being wrong for choosing it. How could I be so dumb? Why would I choose to not be successful? What was wrong with me? Now, of course, she never said any of that stuff about me. I did. In my head. Remember what Dr. Brown said earlier? The most painful shaming experiences are often self-inflicted. That was me. Shaming myself out of following a career path that was important to me. That, that was me shaming myself out of doing something that mattered to me. I couldn't own the truth of what mattered to me because I thought that in owning it, something was wrong with me. I was out of the norm and therefore unworthy. That's shame in action. I had created for myself an unwanted identity. Or more to the point, I allowed someone else's judgment to become my own. And in doing so, I created an unwanted identity. Here's what I want you to understand. Your uniqueness gives you an advantage in the market. Your uniquenesses allow you to see things in ways others can't. And very often, we need those different ways of looking at things if we want to make a positive impact on the world. It can be hard to be seen, heard, accepted, or even appreciated for those differences. I get that. And it's still very important that you own them. They are part of your truth. They are part of what makes you, you. But oftentimes... When it feels exceptionally hard to own that truth, that aspect of your uniqueness, it becomes easy to reject it, to deny it, and just not want to have it anymore. It becomes an unwanted identity. As in, I know I'm multiracial, but it would be a lot easier for me to take advantage of my light skin and privilege and ignore the fact that I'm also black. I mean, I pass. I could just pretend that my blackness doesn't exist. That's the slippery slope that could lead me to eventually hate my blackness and not want to be black anymore. I mean, let's be clear, it is hard right now to be black and it's even harder to be black and have an opinion and to be a black woman with an opinion, an educated opinion that's unpopular, angry black woman walking. And nobody wants to be labeled the angry black woman because any point you're trying to make is rendered moot. Now, I will say there are times when any of us can get a little overzealous with making our point regardless of our color. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how easy it could be for someone to slap that label on me or any other person of color simply because we're black and have an unpopular opinion. To that end, I'll also add that owning your truth publicly can be dangerous. Dr. Brown owns the difficult truth of this when she said, quote, Sometimes we face real threats and consequences when we speak our minds to tell our stories, end quote. It can be dangerous for us to own our differences, depending on our circumstances. So we do need to exercise caution and care for ourselves. But as long as we reject our truth, whether or not we share it publicly, we're stirring up shame for ourselves. You can accept your identity without advertising it. 
Dr. Brown explains unwanted identities as, quote, characteristics that undermine our vision of our ideal selves, end quote. The problem here is that the ideal is often force-fed to us through culture and the powers and influencers of our upbringing or community, the idea of what is quote-unquote normal. Your truth doesn't make you any less ideal for your right audience. It makes you real. You can have uniquenesses that don't fit the so-called normal mode, and they don't have to be unwanted identities. That's why I say warts, sparkles, and all so much. And you've probably heard the phrase warts and all before, which basically means taking the good with the bad. To me, it focused too much on the bad and, and the judgment of bad. Remember, good and bad are judgments we give based on our cultural and societal standards. So I added sparkles because they're just as valid as warts. <laughs> warts, sparkles, and all. Ooh, tangent shift. Okay, look. We can't always walk around living out our highlight reels because then they wouldn't be highlight reels for one thing. We have great days. We have crappy days. We get some things right. We get some things horribly wrong. We clean up our messes the best way we can and we try to do better. That's really all we can do as messy humans. That doesn't give us permission to flake out and continually hurt people because, well, that's just who I am. Mm-mm, mm-mm, no, we don't get to give ourselves a pass for any behavior. We do need to be real, authentic, genuine, intentional, because especially as creative entrepreneurs, that's why people choose us over our competitors. They appreciate who we are, our perspective, and what we bring to the table. That's why they want to be in our world. Again, Dr. Brown's insight here is helpful. She says, quote, when we are honest about our struggles, we are much less likely to get stuck in shame, end quote. I believe this is one of the reasons a lot of creative entrepreneurs struggle with a compelling call to action in their sales material. They're afraid of deceptive advertising, of being, quote unquote, that guy, who can't deliver on the promises they make. So they don't make any promises at all. They say, well, this is how I helped one person, but I can't promise that for you. So I can't tell people about the help I did provide because it might not work for you that way. Uh, It's the old, I don't want to be that guy line. That's the unwanted identity. I don't want to be the guy who fill in the blank. We've got a judgment around that. Rightly or wrongly, we've got a judgment. Shame feeds judgment. Dr. Brown specifically said that, quote, shame, fear, and anxiety are all major incubators of judgment. It's a vicious circle. Uncovering these identities helps us get a better picture of how shame slides in when we're not looking. It can seem innocuous enough. Here's an example. One of my unwanted identities is being a bad mom. I want to be seen by my world as a good mom. I do not want to be perceived as a bad mom. Much like defining success on your own terms, you got to get clear on these identities too. What exactly is a bad mom anyway? Well, depending on who you talk to, a bad mom could be a woman who puts her kids in daycare so she can work outside the home. Or she's someone who yells at her kids. Or a bad mom uses electronics as the babysitter to occupy her kids instead of engaging with them. Or she doesn't breastfeed. I'm sure if I could craft a horrendously long laundry list of all the things that make up a bad mom, I could probably check quite a few of the boxes on that list. I know I can check off all the things I've just listed. 
Both my kids were in daycare or had a babysitter. I've yelled. I've given them screen time on long road trips and sometimes just to quiet them down while I was working. They both got the bottle. So by that definition, I am and will always be a bad mom. I'm living in the zone of an unwanted identity that I can't really do anything to change because all this stuff already happened. All this stuff is part of my past, part of my kids' past. Well, that's it. I'm a bad mom. And I don't want the world to see me as a bad mom. I've got an unwanted identity. If I hold on to it, I experience shame. I experience feeling outside of my world, not worthy of being part of it. I'm bad after all. I'm wrong. I do not fit. These unwanted identities, these characteristics, they didn't come from me. They come from three primary places. Number one, the stereotypes and stories of your family of origin. Number two, influencers that you trust, teachers, mentors, friends, etc. Number three, your cultural or historical references like the media or school books, etc. Those external sources define what's ideal, what's normal for you. And somewhere along the line, you accept it and start comparing yourself to it. Now, that's not always a rotten thing. Again, it's helpful for societies to have rules to keep people safe. But our brains also make a lot of assumptions as a form of shorthand. All or nothing is an especially powerful assumption. Either you do it and you're good, or you don't and you're bad. Either you don't do it and you're good, or you do it and you're bad. I ate a cookie on my diet. I was bad. No, no, no. I had a cookie. I made a choice. The cookie's not bad and neither am I. But our brains make that assumption. If you're not the ideal, you're bad. That's why we have ideals after all. (sighs) What a tiring load of crap. (laughs) We've got to lead our brains. Let me give you another example. And as I go, I'll walk you through how I unraveled one of my own unwanted identities, something that was holding me back and keeping me stuck in a pattern of under-earning big time. I want to be seen as a successful business coach. I do not want to be seen as unsuccessful. That's my unwanted identity. You can do this yourself by starting with one of your own unwanted identities. I want to be seen as blank. I do not want to be seen as blank and just fill in the blanks. So I want to be seen as a successful business coach. I do not want to be seen as an unsuccessful business coach. Now, how do I define that? How do I define successful business coach? Well, if I go by the visible ideal currently floating around the interwebs, then a successful business coach makes seven figures, is thin, white, and attractive with a flashy website and clients who gladly pay five to six figures for the privilege of being a client. I travel to exotic locations. I get paid five figures for a 45-minute talk, and I have a six-figure book advance. By that standard, by that definition, then nope, I'm not successful. Not only am I not successful in just a couple areas, I'm not even remotely successful. Go back to my identities from the beginning of this episode. I am a plus-size, multiracial woman of color who grew up in a poor welfare family in a predominantly black neighborhood in the inner city of Flint, Michigan. That's a lot of stuff I'd have to overcome to get even close to the quote-unquote normal definition of success. I stayed stuck for years 
bemoaning how I wasn't thin enough, white enough, rich enough, or connected enough. And I let all that hold me down from charging a fair wage for my work. I do not brag when I say that I have helped several clients turn their finances around in 90 days or less, some going from zero to five figures, others adding six-figure revenue streams to their bottom lines. I could point to tangible results, but I couldn't promise them, and I didn't want to be that guy. You see where this is going, right? So I had to create a new definition, one that reflected my reality, my truth, One that stopped keeping me stuck and yet was honest about my identities. So I started playing with more empowering I am statements until I came up with this. I am a successful business coach because I've defined success on my own terms. I'm a multiracial woman with a unique perspective on overcoming the difficulties of entrepreneurship and decades of experience helping my clients improve their personal and professional lives. That's my definition of success. It works for me because of my truth, because of who I am and what matters to me. There's nothing deceptive in there. It's just me rewriting the story to empower me instead of keeping me stuck. And you can do it too. It's because I'm a multiracial woman of color that isn't in the norm that helps me relate so well to my clients, many of whom are not in the norm in one way or another either. I'm the one they trust, the one they listen to, because they know I've walked a mile or more in their shoes. I've been brokeity broke, 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 and managed to build a life for myself doing what I love. I've worked with high-profile people, and I've worked with creatives just getting started. I've got a breadth and depth of knowledge that looks awful on a resume, but it's perfect for my right clients who need that single point of contact to get their problem solved. That's important to my best clients. That truth, that unique, non-normal perspective is my unique advantage in the marketplace. What's yours? Build your own empowering I am statements that work with your reality, that work with your truth instead of against it. As one of my clients likes to say, well, I'm going to tell myself a story anyway. It might as well be one that empowers me. (laughs) If you need help. I invite you to consider joining us in overcoming under-earning for creative entrepreneurs. As I said, this week's episode is ripped from the second week's training, and there's a lot more to be said about shame and shame resilience than I can cover in a podcast episode. Our current students are already reporting breakthroughs around their money stories and making shifts in their boundaries around pricing and profitability. You can learn more about it at lisarobinyoung.com forward slash under earning. There's a link in the show notes on the website as well. So here's your task for the week. Take a look at some of your unwanted identities. Pick one in particular and see if you can flip the script. How might this identity actually be a benefit or a unique selling angle for you and your great work? Create an I am statement, a statement of empowerment that reflects this new angle. Put a new spin on an old story so that it works to your benefit. I'd love to hear how it goes for you. And so concludes this episode of the Creative Freedom Podcast. If you liked this episode, you can help us make a bigger impact in the world when you subscribe, leave a review, and share us around with your friends. Next week, we'll conclude this series by talking about one of the biggest secrets to overcoming under-earning, your environment and support. 
I hope you'll join us next time. And until then, for more inspiration and education to help you own your dreams without selling your soul, come see what's shaken over at lisarobinyoung.com. You know you want to...